thought I had the perfect family, but God taught me so much uh, when those girls began to get married and, and I had suitors come by. You know, I lived in no man's land all those years, just uh, having those daughters. And, and uh, the way I see it, I, I really still think that we've gotten away from the biblical method uh, and concerning marriage. In the Bible, they had to buy those girls. Girls are expensive. They're very expensive. And uh, you know about the time you get, they, you think they're just making a little bit of return on their investment. Some boy backs his pickup truck up to your door and just hauls them away. And by the time you get through paying for the wedding, you have financed his pickup truck to haul them away with. And I tell you, it's just... Uh, it just, they ought to get back to the Bible method. But anyway, when the grandkids started coming, you know, I forgave those boys. And, but needless to say, one of those, one of those son-in-laws came out of Brother uh, Willette's church. And, um, and I tell you, you had a lot of investment in that young man, I know. But he struggled. And I'll tell you, especially if you weren't in the session that the pastor O'Donnell just spoke on, you need to get, you need to get the recording if they're recording these sessions. You need to get that because uh, Brother O'Donnell, uh, my son-in-law, did not have what you spoke about that you had with your children. He had uh, a, a poor example, though he was in a minister's home. But he did not have a father uh, that exemplified that. But needless to say, long story short, that young man my daughter met in Bible college and uh, realized he had a lot of problems. And uh, against the advice uh, that I gave our, our, to my daughter... Uh, and in fact, he they broke up a couple or three times, and and he broke her heart a few times, and the last time was the last time for me. And uh, I remember when he wanted to start that relationship up again. I said, "Oh no, no way, buddy! And you you're never going to have a chance at that that girl again." And uh, just to make sure. He said, well, what if I just call every now and then and talk to you? I said, I know you're not going to talk to her. You're not going to talk to me. You're not going to talk to anybody in my family. And to make sure of that, I called his mother. And I, I talked to his mother. I said, now listen, never again is he to make contact with my family. And then I called uh, Dr. Lett and I said, uh, do you know... Uh, this young man, he said, oh, yes, oh, yes. And I remember having that conversation, and I said to his pastor, you make sure that boy never makes contact with anyone in my family again. The next conversation I had with that young man, he was becoming my son-in-law. Now, it was difficult, and there were some difficult years. The next time Brother Willette and I met, this was in Missouri, and my heart was broken. 
my wife's heart, we, were, we, we wept so much. But it was trying to get that young man to reconcile. And, uh, and oh, it was difficult years. And long, I mean, some heartaches along the way. But I'm going to say, God taught me so much through that relationship. And uh, God taught me how to pray and how to get hold of God. And I want to share some things with you tonight, how God not only just restored my family, but taught me some things from the Word of God that I believe He did a work, amazing work, in my son-in-law and, and my daughter's family. And uh, I, I couldn't have a son that don't believe it loves me more. Hardly a week goes by that, he, that we don't talk on the phone. He says, I love you. And uh, I tell you, all my son-in-laws, I praise God for them. And I wouldn't have picked a one of them out. <laughs> they wouldn't have been my choice. But I believe they each have been what my daughters needed. And um, in Job chapter 1, we, we, we're in a spiritual warfare like I've, I have never experienced in my lifetime as we are in this present age. And when there are so many homes that are broken... And so many lives that are broken. I want to speak on the perfect man. Uh, as part of a series of messages that I, and Lord willing, I'll not preach all the, the whole series tonight. But I preached on, there's three uh, uh, areas in the Bible that we're commanded to be perfect. Uh, one is to be the perfect man. And can I say that, God has never commanded us to, to be or to do anything that He will not enable us to be or do. Uh, the perfect man, the Bible speaks of the perfect family. And people say, oh, there's no such thing. Nobody's perfect. Well, the Bible says we're supposed to be perfect. And then there's the perfect church. And I know we've often said, well, don't, uh, you know, if you ever find the perfect church, don't join it because you'll ruin it. No, the Ephesians chapter 4 teaches on how we should have the perfect church. Now, understanding what the Lord's speaking to us about is understanding what the word perfect means. And as God is using it, and He uses it here in Job chapter 1, there was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright, and one that feared God and eschewed evil. Now, Psalm 37 and verse 37 says, Mark the perfect man, and behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. And we're going to find that verse to be absolutely true in the life of Job. Now, we know that Satan, he does everything he can to destroy that perfection that God wants in each of our life and in each of our homes. Now, in verses 1 through 6, we see the perfect family. 
that God gave to Job. We see the, uh, the perfect man here. We see the perfect man as it's given to us. Notice verse 2, And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. Now, I'm not a big man on numbers. I don't go to uh, too much length on numbers, but perhaps you could do something with those the number seven and the number three there, but that's uh, not my intent. Uh, verse 3, His substance also was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 she-asses and a very great household. So that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east, and his sons went and feasted in their houses every one his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. I want us to consider being the perfect Man, that ought to be the desire of our heart. It is the command that is given to us, the Lord Jesus Himself. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 48, He said, Be it perfect. That's the command that is given. As my Father is perfect. And that's the command, the Lord Jesus Christ. My, what a, what a tall order that is. How can we be? How can we be the perfect man? Well, I want us to notice, first of all, let's go back to creation. And I want you to consider quickly Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 36, or verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have the dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth. God said, Let us make man after our likeness. God made man Perfect in His likeness. What was the likeness? Now, I had uh, uh, on my doorstep this past week two Jehovah's uh, Witness ladies, women that were there, and they began the discussion, and I just kind of cut through the chase, and I said, you know, you don't believe in the same God that I do, and, and uh, concerning the Lord Jesus. And they wanted to try to make me to uh, divide or separate as maybe to try to prove that Jesus Christ was equal, an, an equal share or an equal part of uh, the Trinity. I didn't use the word Trinity because I knew that they would say, oh, it's not in the Bible and they're true on that. So I, I like to use the Bible term uh, to describe who God is. And that is, He is one God. 
the best description for who God is. He is one. And what does that one mean? He's whole. You see, you can't take as you would a pie and cut a third of the pie out and say this third is equal uh, to the other two-thirds. Because if you take a third out of the pie, the pie no longer is whole. You have diminished, uh, and you take a third of who God is out, He's no longer God. If Jesus is not God, the Father and the Holy Spirit is not God. He is one Lord. He's one God. Now, He made uh, man in His likeness. And what likeness was that? Male and female created He them, and God said, multiply and replenish the earth. The likeness to God is the family, is the home. You take any member of that home out, that should not even come into our mind. We don't describe equality in our home. There is no equality in my family. My wife and I, we're not equal. We're not co-equal. We are one. We are whole. We are indivisible. And that's what God intended. The Father in the likeness of God the Father. And what Satan would like to do is to remove that influence of that likeness to the Father from that family. Do you realize that in our uh, in America today, over 50% of the children born, and the reason that we have today children that are taking guns and going into uh, a classroom uh, uh, and, and killing people as pure rebels is because in most of those cases, they did not have in, in their life a likeness to a heavenly Father. Now, it's plain to see that children are in the likeness, and this bears all the way through Scripture, to the Son of God. Now, again, we're talking about the family of God that is described in Ephesians chapter 3, the whole family of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. You and I, we have the name and bear the name of our heavenly Father. And it is, we got in two ways, by the way. Now, that's another, another message in itself. We got in the family of God two ways. I used to think that the family of God was all of us Christians, you know. Uh, that, that's all of us who are born again. No, that's one, that's, uh, that's, that's only if you... It's only, and I don't want to separate who we are, but it's only a part of the family of God. The whole family of God is the body, which is in Jesus Christ. He's the Son of God. And in Him, we got into the family. And who is our Father? Our Heavenly Father. And who is our Mother? The likeness to the Mother is the Holy Spirit. And again, it bears it out in Scripture. That which is conceived in her, Matthew chapter 1, that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. 
And we find uh, in uh, Romans chapter 8 that by the Spirit, we too, by the uh, Spirit of adoption, we cry, Abba, Father. Now, the Holy Spirit bears that likeness to us. Teaching us what? The will of the Father. What did the Lord Jesus come? Jesus said, I am come to do the will of my Father. And he says to his disciples, that's the same thing that you are to do, is to do the will of the Father. And so the Holy Spirit helps us do that. Now, you get in two ways. Number one, you're born in, born of the Spirit. John chapter 3. We are born of the Spirit. Again, the Holy Spirit has in the likeness of who God is. Male and female created He them. And multiply, replenish the earth as children. A family should be in the likeness of who God is. You can't divide God. He's indivisible. He's one God made of the, the Father, the Holy Spirit, and the Son of God. We got in by birth. But then we got in by the bride. We were brought in as a, as a wife and made again one with the body. These two are one. I tell you, it's good to be in the family of God. But now the likeness, the likeness that God created in Genesis chapter 1, He made the likeness in the family. Now we're going to be looking here in this spiritual warfare that we're in Satan is going to do everything he can to divide and separate and, and that likeness. And my, how he is doing that today, isn't he? We find, we're going to look in Job. That's what happened to Job. It, it, Satan came at his family. Now, we have that likeness. Notice in, in Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in every verse following, for the next 34 verses. And again, if we, we are to bear that likeness, you ought to know what that likeness is like and who God is. And He tells us in the first 34 verses of uh, the Word of God, He gives us His name. He is God He's the maker. He tells us 35 times in 34 verses. Why does he tell us so much? Because we're so dense. We don't get it. He has to remind us. He is our maker. So he made the family in the likeness of God. Then you come to chapter 2 and verse number 4. And the Lord God. Now we've got some more information about God. Not only is He maker, but He's master. He is the Lord God. And from that point forward, beginning in chapter 2, He doesn't just merely say God, but the Lord God, which He's our master. And we find in chapter number 2, He gives us more information on concerning who our maker is, Man and his maker in chapter 2 and verse number 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, breathed in his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So he made you, the individual, he made also in the likeness of who he is. Indivisible, he made man. Spirit, soul, and body. And 
We know what happened. Same as the happened to the family, what happened between even Adam and Eve. There was a division, there was a separation that took place. And because of sin, sin separated them from the very likeness of God, but also within the man. We know that the day that he ate of that fruit, the day he died physically, he, he lived 935 years. But we understand this, that on that instant he was separated. His spirit died, separated from God. He no longer was whole. He no longer was in the likeness of God. And so, Satan, he not only attacks the home likeness to God, he attacks you. And the likeness that God wants you to be in His likeness. Now, we understand. After sin came, the only hope that we had that God sent that... God sent His only begotten from, from before the foundation of the world. I mean, this is the eternal relationship that He had always had. He didn't have His beginning with Mary in fact, if you want to take it to the uh, nth, nth degree in consideration, when, when, when the Lord Jesus, when He made Adam, He made every one of us. He made you. That's when you were created. That's when you were made, when He made Adam. And, and what's so amazing about God, He knew you, He wanted there to be a you. And so He made you when He made Adam. And, and even uh, uh, to the number of your hair or the lack thereof, God knew when He made Adam, He wanted there to be you. And you matter to Him. But we find that sin came and, and destroyed that likeness to God. And the only way for that likeness to be restored is through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that through the shedding of blood, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And Jesus came. He is the propitiation for our sins, not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And He, come, he came to bring you and I, you and I, back into the likeness of God, back into the family of God, and you and I, spirit, soul, and body, to be preserved blameless. Not just your body. We give the... We, I think, and for a long time, I used to think that it was my body, my old flesh, that I had uh, the problem with. No. I honestly believe the greatest problem that we have is not the body, but the spirit. We used to, I used to even think the spirit was perfect because it was, you know, it, it's the... No. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, he said, I pray God. And, and he said that your whole spirit, W-H-O-L-E, that's the meaning of the same word, perfect. Your whole spirit uh, and soul and body. And, and previous to that, and he said, the very God of peace sanctify you holy. W-H-O-L-L-Y. Holy means complete and entire. But he said, you and I, he said, Paul said it was the prayer, his prayer, that when you stand before God, your spirit will be 
blameless. Your soul will be blameless. That your body will be blameless. In other words, that you will stand there perfectly whole. Because you and I not just give an account for this old flesh, but that spirit. Now, bringing back to Job chapter number 1. In Job chapter 1, we see the perfect man. He has a wife. Job, he's a father and his wife, and they have ten children. Seven sons, three daughters. And they have that perfect likeness that is to God, the family in its entirety, and its whole, and being sound, and, and indivisible. That's the likeness to God. But I want you to notice not only the perfect man that is mentioned here, but I want you to consider the prayer meeting that begins here. Notice in verse number 5 that Job is concerned about his family. What does Job do when he has a concern about his family? What you, every father in this room should be doing. What my father did. What I have done. When I had a concern about my family, I went to God in prayer for them. And what we find here in verse number 6, now there was a day when the sons of God, and, and that's Job. And can I say, you, do, you cannot come but by the blood. Only way you can approach is by the blood. And that's the way Job came. He made his sacrifices. He's having a prayer meeting. He's concerned about his family. And then we find in verse number 6, And there was the day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. Have you ever wondered why it's so difficult to pray? I'll tell you why it's so hard to pray. It's because the devil, he prays too. It dawned upon me that the sons of God are not the only ones praying. Satan has nothing. Satan owns nothing. Satan has no power. Amen. Genesis chapter 1. God said, let us make man after our likeness. And what did he say? He said, let them have the dominion. Amen. I'm going to give man the domain and dominion over everything. But what, did do, what happened? Satan came. And Satan, man yielded to Satan what God had given to him. I'm going to tell you, men, God has given you your family. And God has given you your life. God has Breathe in you the Spirit of God. God may, has made you who you are. And can I say, let God do that. Without going into a long... God made man of the dust of the ground. And can I say, without God, I, you're nothing. And I am nothing without God. No more significant than a pile of dust 
without God. If you're a self-made man, you're the product of unskilled labor. You need to allow God to make you the man He wants you to be, and you need to allow God to give you the family that He wants you to have, to be in His likeness. Now, Satan will do everything he can to destroy that. Satan has nothing. Job's concerned about what God has given him. And in Job chapter 1, Satan comes and asks request of God for all that Job had. In chapter 1, it was all he had. What did Job have? Everything God had given him. He was, and Satan even said that to God. Why, everything he's got, you've blessed him with. You've given him everything. And Satan makes two requests in chapter 1. One is denied. The second is granted. The one that is denied, Satan asked God to smite Job or to take away everything that he had. Aren't you glad that you, have a, you serve a good God? We serve a good God. I mean a good, loving God. You'll never, God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man with evil. And God will never answer, though he will do it. Satan will time and time again. Satan will come and say, I want him. I want you, God, to smite him. God says, no. But I'll let you do it. And though Satan does it, we find God gets the blame for it. We know that here, sons and daughters are eating and drinking. The servants are with the cattle and the servants are with all that Job had. And what's the accusation? The fire of God has fallen. I don't know how many people have been bitter towards God. I've never heard anyone curse the devil for their woes and for their problems. Do you know what happened in chapter 1? Satan outprayed Job. He got what he asked for. God gave it to him. Again, Satan has nothing. He doesn't have your family. He doesn't own your family. But he may ask for your home. He may ask for your children. He may ask for your wife. We find Job was concerned about his children. His children were just like most of our kids. All they could think about was what they were going to eat and what kind of fun they were going to have and where they were going to have the next party and when they were going to have the next good time. And Job realized that he said, I believe the devil's after my children. And he began to pray. But we find that that Satan came and in chapter 1 he took everything he had. Now listen, what do you have? He took all of his finances. Why does Satan want what you have so you can't serve God with it? That's why he gets us so, uh, you know, financially strapped. So you can't tithe. So you can't give to missions. So you can't give to the Lord's work. So you can't do something for God that one day you would be rewarded for and blessed for. Listen, Satan wants what God has given to you. You better honor God with it. But also he wants his family. 
And he took his family. He took everything Job had. But to Job's credit, he comes back and worships God. And he gives God the glory. And he said, I'm going to worship God and I'm going to serve God. But notice there was another day, and you, you might underline those phrases, and there was a day, and there was a day. In chapter number 2, we find there was another day. Now, in chapter 2, it changes. The Lord says, and notice what He says about Job. This is what God said. There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves, which, by the way, what's Job doing just in the previous verses? Of both times when Satan comes, he's... He's, he's come before God in prayer. He's come before God in praise. And Satan comes with him, the sons of God, in chapter 1. Present themselves before the Lord. And can I say, Satan is no free agent. He's, he, he has to get permission for anything and everything that he does. And verse 2, And the Lord said unto Satan, from whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. And here we have a description of what Peter described. Peter had this same experience that Job had, by the way. Several men in the Bible. You could, you could preach this exact message with several men in the Bible. David was one. Satan moved David to do what he did. And on the occasions, the lust, the pride of life, and uh, the lust of the flesh and the, and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, the three great sins of David, and without getting into that. But Satan was uh, the one that did that. But in Peter's life, remember Jesus taught the disciples to pray, Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The first is the prayer, O oh God, don't allow me to fall into temptation, into Satan's snare. The second is, when you have fallen into Satan's snare, when you have fallen into Satan's sifter, you're praying to pray, but deliver me from the evil. For when you have, when Satan has put his clutches upon you, when Satan has grasped your family, when you're in Satan's grip, you better learn to pray, deliver me. From evil. Now, Peter said, no, 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 now, Lord, not me. Not me. Now, he had already had one occasion where, Satan, uh, where the Lord Jesus rebuked him and even called him Satan. But then we come to the Garden of Eden and Jesus says, pray that you enter not into temptation. Peter said, oh, I got this. The Lord Jesus had just told him, Satan hath desired to have you. Without going into a, 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 a really a, something you, you would call me a heretic over, we, we say that a Christian can never be satanically possessed. Now, he can't own you if you use Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, the disciples considered not anything they possessed to be their own. Now, if you say Satan can't possess you, and you mean own you, that's true. But if you use the phrase, Satan can get control of you, where he's manipulating you, or your family, he can possess you. 
And that's why the Lord warns us on being not an instrument of unrighteousness. Possess your vessel unto honor. You need to know it it's not, doesn't belong to Satan unless you yield it to him. Your family does not belong to him unless you yield it to yield your family, unless Satan outprays you. Now in Job chapter one, Satan asked for everything Job had. In chapter two, he asked for who Job was. He said, Now the Lord says, Have you considered my servant Job? And Again, back to Peter. The description of Satan walking to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. In verse 3, And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? There is none like him in the earth. A perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil, and still he holdeth fast his integrity. What's that word mean? Wholeness. Oneness. The root word, integrity, is integer, which means whole numbers. He was still whole. He's still intact. He's still undivided. But now wait a minute. Although thou movest against me against him to destroy him, that means to swallow him up. It's a description of who Satan is. He's as a roaring lion, as Peter learned later. When he had, after he had fallen into Satan's sifter, after Satan had gained control of him, and he went out and wept bitterly, Peter later on said, Be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He's described as the roaring lion here. He wants your family, but he wants you. He'll not be satisfied to separate, divide you, your home. He wants you to be a double-minded man, unstable in all your ways. So he asked, in verse 4, And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. Again, God does not answer the first prayer, answers the second. And he puts Satan, puts him in Satan's hand. Now, notice his wife now. At odds with Job. Dost thou still maintain thine integrity, your wholeness, your soundness, your likeness to God? Curse God and die. She didn't say curse the devil, though it was Satan that smote him. And it smote him skin, flesh, and bone. That's the way he requested. And if you go through the book of Job, all three are mentioned as attacks of Satan. Now listen, men. Yes, Satan will attack you physically. He will attack you physically. He, and, and that's one reason that you need to keep your body whole and sound. And, and, and you, you ought to keep, as Paul says, keep your body under. God may allow it. In, as He did Job. As He did Apostle Paul. A thorn in the flesh. A messenger of Satan. A thorn in the flesh. Why does Satan attack you physically? It's like if you were to describe who God made you like going on a journey. The destination and how far you get on that journey 
being your soul. That's you. That body being the car that you get therein. And that mind, as far as making the turns and making, uh, uh, keeping, your, keeping it going in the right direction, that, that's your spirit. Some people treat their body just like they do their automobile, drive it hard and fast and drive it till the wheels fall off. And, and uh, man, it's just, I'm just going to drive it. And I'm going to tell you something. I think of Dr. Lewis Arnold. He, he preached in my church when he was 101 years old. He said, if I'd have known I was going to live this long, I'd have taken better care of myself. <laughs> because, listen, that body that God's given you is to serve God with. It's, it, it is to take you where you need to go. That spirit, have you ever gotten on a trip and driving late at night and pull off at an exit maybe to get gas and your mind being so tired you get back on the interstate and drive a hundred miles the wrong direction? That's that spirit. And I'm going to tell you, if that spirit's not right, oh, anger, clamor, evil speaking, bitterness, uh, wrath, all those things, jealousy, that's your spirit. That Satan wants to get control of to keep you from doing what you ought to To destroy your home, to destroy your family, but to make you a divided man. Now in chapter number 2, he attacks Job physically, yes. He attacks him spiritually. His spirit. Oh, go, I challenge you, read, and I did this. I, when I began to study this, I went all the way through the book of Job and marked the times his spirit was affected Doubt, fear, that which I have feared has come upon me. Anger. There was every signs of the battles that you and I have with our spirit that came upon Job. And then his soul. He mentions all three Job mentions, his soul. The soul, that's the will of God for your life. That's what you're to do with your life. When Jesus said... What would it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? He was talking to his disciples, not lost people. The word life and the word soul are identical words. And man became a living soul. That's the life that God's given to you. And what you do with that life, you're not your own. God's given you that for a purpose, for a will. But Satan wants to rob you of that to where you do like the servant did. You do nothing with it, but bury it in this old sin-cursed world and have nothing to show for it. Now, here's the key. We've looked at the perfect man, but we see the prayer meeting. Every time you pray, Satan's praying. The devil's praying. Don't let him out-pray you. We come to the end of the book and we'll close. Go to chapter 42. In Job chapter 42... Job gets in the face of God. He gets in the presence of God. And can I say, every time you open up the Word of God, you get into God's presence. And what happened when he got into God's presence? We see two things. One, he got into the Word of God. His faith returns. And we see that he, he in verse 10, and the Lord, notice what it says, turned what? The captivity of Job. Who had him captive? Satan did. The captivity of Job. When what? 
He prayed for his friends. Also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Fortunes came back. So he could serve what with God what he had. Verse 11. Then came there unto him, what? All his brethren. He got his family back. And all of his sisters. And all they that had been of his acquaintance before. And did eat bread with him. In verse 12. So the Lord blessed the, blessed the latter end of Job more than the beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep. And go on down to verse 13. He also had seven sons and three daughters. Got his family back. I'm going to tell you. Satan is doing a number on so many of our homes, our families, but our lives, who we are. He wants all you have, but he wants all you are. And he'll destroy you. He, don't think for a moment. What happened to David, by the way? David, David's penitent prayer, he said, restore to me, what? A right spirit, which means what? He had a wrong one. And a free spirit. What's that meant? His spirit had been bound. He had been in captivity. He said, give the joy of the Lord. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. All of that. I tell you, that's what we need from the Lord. And God will help us be the perfect man. Maintain a perfect home. You can apply every bit of this in the perfect church that we can have. And my, that's what we need. That's by our heads. Heavenly Father, you know the need of this hour. Know the need of these men. Oh, I pray you'd bless, Lord, tonight. Help us to make some decisions on what we've heard tonight. Oh, every one of these sessions that we've heard. And Lord, the kind of a Christian that we are, whether that one that Satan has gotten the advantage of us and we're very poor spiritually, Wretched and blind like that Laodicean church. Or whether we're that uh, mediocre one that we think we're okay. Or Lord, help us to be that one that's perfect and whole. And when we stand before you one day and give an account for our body, may we be blameless. And when we stand before you one day and give an account for our spirit, how we did what we did, the manner in which we served, May we hear you say, well done. And Lord, that soul, Lord, what we did with the life that you have given us, may we hear you say, well done. Bless these men, these homes, these families. And Lord, the church is represented here. Lord, help us to realize that we're up against the one that has not been given anything but what we allow him to have. And help us, Lord, to dedicate ourself and our families and our churches. Lord, to Thee, may Thy will be done. In Jesus' blessed name. Let's stand to our feet. Like to come do business with the Lord. Enjoy.